0: cannot believe that we are already in this far into August and coming up to the Raising Money Summit. It's only a few weeks away. I've got a bunch of amazing speakers, and I want you to hear from them now. So check out what a couple of them are going to be speaking about at the Raising Money Summit, and I'll see you there October 3rd, 4th, and 5th.
1: Hi, I'm Gene Trowbridge and I'm really excited. I gotta tell you something that's happening to me that I'm gonna talk about October 3rd through the 5th. I go to um, all sorts of events. I'm one of the preeminent uh, securities attorneys in the country and people stop by my booth and they pick up a business card. Two days later, I get a solicitation from them to invest in their deal. That's totally illegal. My best legal advice to you is, don't do that. You don't have a pre-existing relationship with me. You don't have a substantive relationship with me. I'm going to talk about all that. So be sure to be there early on the first day to hear me talk about this because I'm going to keep you out of trouble and then be there at the end of the last day where Jillian Sidoti, my partner, is going to give you a rock star performance that you cannot afford to miss. So I'll see you in Denver, October 3rd through the 5th. Thanks.
2: Hi, everyone. This is Pili Arusi from Yurusi Holdings. I am so honored to be speaking at the Raising Money Summit coming up in October. Um, at the summit, I'm going to talk to you about how focus gives you more success and how your passive investors will see that and trust you even more because of that, because you have the focus. I mean, all of us know that as investors, if we see that our fellow, inv- fellow investor is focused, is clued into exactly what they want and how they're gonna get it, we see that and we are attracted to that. So, I mean, think, of the, think about that in the passive investor side. They know what they're looking for and they see it in you, if they see the focus in you. And finding this focus was really, really difficult. Jason and I, my husband and I went from A to B, which was me getting my real estate license. We started flipping and wholesaling. And I found out that flipping and wholesaling, at least for us, was a job. We weren't investing our time wisely, but we learned how to do real estate. We learned more about the business doing that. We got into small multifamilies. We found a couple in in Indiana that gave us permission to look out of state, look further than than our hometown with, within like that 30 minute circumference that we were driving to to do our flips we found that permission to look further so from that jason saw the possibility of going bigger of course at that point i was like oh no i don't i can't let me let me just focus in on this let me we'll do our flipping and wholesaling and we'll do our small multifamily but doing 100 units 500 units at a time wait what that's actually possible and we found out that it was. So a year, two years later, we're trying to do everything at once. And we just we just figured out that we can't. And we came to the decision that we're not going to do that anymore. We started dismantling our other businesses and we focused on multifamily. And we are on the way up because of it. And I want to show you exactly how we did it and our story that drove us to the point that we are at now where we are all in on multifamily, on large multifamily and finding and offering people the opportunity to join us. So again, this is Pili Yarusi for the Raising Money Summit. So honored to be going there and so honored to meet you. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by
1: realbluespruce.com.
0: Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Adam, AAA Adams, and today I am joined on the podcast with one of my best friends, one of my favorite people. He was on stage last year at the Raising Money Summit, and he's gonna be on stage again this year at the Raising Money Summit, teaching you how to be a better passive investor. So very, very, very excited to have Siva Venugopalan on the podcast today. I'm trying to get out to your part of town as well, Siva. I need to get up to the listeners. Siva is a passive investor, a world-class bridge engineer, and uh, consults and makes the good bucks on something that he really, really enjoys. He's been passive in a lot of deals, in deals with my friend Maureen Miles and a few other uh, operators. He's learned a ton we actually use him. I think that's a very bad term. Ask him uh, for some advice often. So with that said, Siva, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I so appreciate that opportunity to be a part of the show. And uh, uh, you said about using me. I want anybody and everybody who I can give value, go ahead, call me, use me. And, <laughs> you know, that's what I tell my clients use me. I'm ready to work. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. I love what I do and I love real estate as well. More importantly, you got to balance all that. So, that's where I say find what you love and do work with others that you know they love what they do. And so that's the concept that I have even in the investment in real estate. You know, we started doing on our own first, like buying single family homes and stuff like that. And we found out that scaling is a lot of lot more difficult doing single family homes. Even if I bought a A type, uh, you know, in a gated neighborhood and all that, and we have a property manager and everything. But think of doing that 20, 30, 50, 100, it just kind of really, really difficult unless you have another business to run to have everybody in place. And I thought, you know what, why not we do this all in one place together? We started thinking about doing it ourselves. And the more I learned, the more I realized that are other people really good at doing it. If I run a business, that's what I would do, right? Hire other people and run it. And so I can generally manage and take care of things. So I thought, the key is in this investment in multifamily is to understand how to analyze the deal, understand how to find the markets, and understand who you want to work with. Real key. That's what I look at it. I think a lot of it is finding deals and managing those deals. And uh, the finding deals part is, is somebody who's a good uh, person operating in this field, you do will find it because eventually you get off-market deals as you keep at it, keep at it. So you are getting the cream of the crop before it even hits the market. So you had to be a full-time to do that. And, you know, that is key. most people think I can go there and do that part. I'm sure you can. It's not impossible, but you got to work like a full-time job responding to it all the time. And so, and be engaged um, and know what's going on. And so I think that's where, when you and I talked about, right, we said, I'm focusing on only few areas and not the entire United States, right? And the few areas you focus on, you do your research, you figure it out. These are the three areas, even within the area, there are certain areas we focus on, even within that city or whatnot. So once you have that, you just find operators who are working within those areas, right? And you start working with them and you find one person and they're doing well, we start with small, right? We may start with the 50,000 or 100,000 or something like that. You know, uh, once that that goes well for a year or two, we'll add more, you know? If goes that for well for a year or two, we'll add more. And we just keep adding, you know, to different people that we work with in the market that we're interested in. That doesn't mean that other markets people are doing, we may not be, even though we're good friends with them, we may not because it's not in our market that we're focused on, right? There's always deals out there. You know, if you want the deal, you can put anywhere you want. As a passive investor, that's the advantage. You don't have to be, you know, restricted to only three markets. You can be in 20 markets if you want because you're not the guy going hustling. It's somebody else who's doing the hustle for you. And so that's that's the advantage of being a passive investor as well. The other thing about passive investor is that, you know, you don't have any more uh, exposure uh, other than the money you put in. Well, what kind of exposure can you possibly get, right? Operators will have the non-recourse loan and you know they don't have as much exposure as even I do as a passive investor. But thing is, you have to understand the reputation of the operator is at stake. And if they don't perform, everything goes south. You may lose your money, but they may lose their entire livelihood. Mm -hmm. And that's really key. In a business, you have to know that that there is a lot at stake for the operators. And and th- that's why I say every time, you know, just the uh, Facebook exchange that we had recently that I won't take any uh, deals where the managers don't have a significant portion in the cash flow. Uh, it's not about 70-30 split, that's fine with me. 60-40 splits, that's fine with me. If a manager comes up with a 90-10 split, with 10% going to the manager, I scrutinize that deal a lot more closely because there may not be enough meat in the bone. And I don't want the manager to be working for free because he's not gonna go very long. And uh, Can I interrupt you for a sec? Yeah, go for it. I wanna, I wanna
0: sum up what, what I think I've heard so far. And I wanna clarify three things, I believe. Okay, so first off, Siva's saying if you want to go passively, if you want to invest passively into a market or anywhere, into a into, you know, multifamily or something like this, number one, your first thing that you need to understand is you need to do the due diligence on the market. You need to understand a market. What are the fundamentals? What are you looking for? Does this market have, it, have those fundamentals? Is it growing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? When you know that you have a market, that's when you start looking for the operating team. And then I heard some really wise advice. If you have a million in the bank, two million in the bank, it doesn't matter. What Siva's saying is you start small. Start small. So you're going to invest with that operator for the first time. Try to go the minimum. What's the minimum? If it's 50, awesome, do 50. If, you've can, if you can get away with 25, do 25. Or if the minimum's 100 and you really want to work with them, that's the minimum, go do 100. Let me give you a sneak trick right now, a sneaky trick. If you have a, a minimum that is, quote, 100, double check the operating agreement, the PPM. It's possible. I've done this before. I'm a passive investor it's possible to actually ask the operator, ooh, can I go under that minimum for this one? Normally, that operator's gonna let you do it. Hey, don't do it against me. I'm not trying to tell you to do it against me. No, you can. But the point is, when you see a minimum is 100, just ask, just say, hey, can I do 50 on that one? There is a good chance that operator's gonna say yes. Okay, so find the market, find the operator, make sure that they're a, a reputable operator, But even still start small, 50 grand, 100 grand, 25 grand if you can. And then uh, the. what I wanted to ask you, Siva, is three questions. Number one, you mentioned if you are an operator, you might be stuck to one market, two markets, or maybe three or four markets at the most. It would be hard, I think, to be an operator and be in more than that. Right. But Correct. if, as a passive investor, you're, you're not limited to that because you don't have to run the show and fly at all the places. You don't have to do all of that. You're more passive. So you said you might be able to have your exposure across 20 different markets. Uh, the question that I have for you is, what's your, your solid advice for how many markets you ought to try to be involved in?
3: Well, even as a passive investor for myself, I would probably go to the field. And before I invest, I would like to see the property, see the neighborhood, see what's going on. And day and evening and nighttime as well. I run and drive and see those things. So just because you're a passive investor, you, you still are doing all the due diligence that you would do. You may not be going and doing the lease audit. You may not be going and walking every unit stuff like that, right? That's the due diligence that the operator would do. But as a, as a passive investor, I'm looking and saying, this all concept, I got it from the stock market, right? You're buying into a business. When you're buying into a business, is the business healthy, number one, from numbers? Is the business located in the right place, right? Um, you want to see that and then you would say, you know what part of the business that I want to buy into right and That's your investment you know how much you put in. But if you buy a, for example, if you buy a business at fifty percent discount, why wouldn't you put two hundred three hundred thousand dollars right? If you that's really you're buying it cheap, right the, mm-hmm. You have to know what you're buying. That it doesn't matter who the operator is, you got to know what you're buying. If you know what you're buying, then the next step is how much do I want it to go in? For example, if somebody gives me a, an Apple stock for $100 today, right? Um, I may still not put all of my money into it, right? The chance of it's going bust is always there, even the best of the best, right? So you always look for and distribute your money in different areas and different operators, we talked about the diversification, right? Mm -hmm. Even the best of the operators there, you don't put 100% of it on that person, right? You want to, you want to divvy it up. And how you divvy it up, you you certainly don't want to put all my money, all your money in Oklahoma, where a tornado comes, all your money in Florida, where the hurricane takes away, all your money in California, where the earthquake comes and swallows up the whole thing, right? Yeah, sure, you can get your money back. But, you know, as a passive investor, you'll get some of it back, but, you know, ideally, you want to distribute it enough, so get a a feel for what's my philosophy, write your own business, I guess, roadmap, you know, as a passive investor, you got to have a plan, this is my plan, this is how I'm going to diversify, this is the geography, this is the operator, you know, sometimes people are, do multifamily, do, you know, medical office buildings and do, you know, other things, um, even within real estate. But I can tell you this, most millionaires and multimillionaires uh, at least have about 20 to 25% of their money in real estate, if not more.
0: Great. Let me let me go back to that same question just to, I want to make sure that I have it clarified. You gave a lot of good information, but I want to make sure I have that that number. What do you think would be a good number for a passive investor to have in, their money in what amount of markets would you say? Four, twenty, one? What what would be your best advice there?
3: It so much depends on, for example, if, if so, I, I have my kids invest with me, right? Uh, because they don't have enough money. They just saved up, you know, $5,000 and said, what do I do with this? And nobody's going to take your money, but... Uh, what if I invest through you? Uh, are you going to give me a part of that? And I said, absolutely. And so I, I actually used that concept with my friends. Some of the friends said, well, Siva, well, we don't want to invest more than 10000 which is like, you know, 1% of our thing. Uh, but I said, how many of you are there? I said, 10. For my LLC, put 10 each. You got 100000 Invest that. So there are ways to reduce your risk and still be able to invest. And that's what you want to do. Figure out what your risk level is. If you lose that money tomorrow, are you going to fall asleep? Are you going to, you know, fall apart? (laughs) If you're going to fall asleep, go do it. If you're going to fall apart, don't do it, right? That's really the key. You want to know what I can put something out there, each of those events. Like you start slow, you start small, you do a little bit you get comfortable, you see the returns, and then you make a little bit more, you see the returns, and you slowly walk into it. Every time you buy a stock, right, you don't put all your money into stock. Even when it's going down, you start buying, but you slowly build your position over time. And so same way you do that here, you build your position, and and that takes time. You cannot do it all in one year. Just because you have the money, you don't throw the money into something you don't understand. First, you got to understand, and then you got to understand the place. Then you got to understand the operator. Then you got to understand the whole system, how it works, and then find your list of operators that you want to work with in the area that you're interested in. And it's a lot of work, believe it or not. Most people think passive investing is no work. It's a different type of work. You keep doing that. I go to conferences. I look for people. I look for operators. I kind of keep my ear out you know, hear about them, hear about what they do, and get to know them. And, you know, you've introduced me to some of the operators yourself by, you know, looking at some of the deals and whatnot. I will be following all of them over time, right? The goal of it is to really find as many operators as you can, and work with the good people, and you support them. That's a part of your team. You know, as a as a consultant, I tell my you know, the people that I work with, you need to have good consultant to, for you to be able to give the work to. And so you need to make sure that they are in place, ready to go, and they're capable of doing the work. And that's my goal as a as a passive investor. I'm always looking for a good operator, ready to go. And they're always looking for deals and they always have a deal. And you may have sometimes five, ten deals. You don't have money. You know, You're rotating money from one to the other. So you may have to let go of a great deal. That's why when you're picking deals, you don't ever relax your criteria that you have because if you do, you'll always get a deal. Guess what happens? You take the good, then you got to forego the best. Yeah, that's up there.
0: I love it. Okay, so actually one of the things that you just said uh, is something that I need to touch on because I made a mistake. I said you go to the market, then the operator, and then you start small. But what I heard you say just a second ago is there's something before deciding on the market, and that's learning the business, learning the business plan, understanding what is syndication, what is multifamily. So once you understand that, that's when you go to the market, then you pick an operator, then you start small. All right, so we talked about how many markets. And I didn't get a specific answer, but it sounds like there's not a specific answer. It it sounds like go as many as you can, as long as you understand the market and you understand the operator, just keep growing. And it kind of probably depends on how much money you have. If you have 100,000, you're probably limited to one or two markets. If you have 10 million, you probably can be in 20 markets pretty easily. All right, so the next question that I have is talking about one of the things you mentioned earlier, which is very, very important, uh, most passive investors that talk to me, I hear them say, I want most of the deal to always be to the passive. I, want most, I don't want you to ever take uh, acquisition fee. I don't want you to ever take uh, management fee. I don't want you to all this. They feel cheated if the manager makes money but you said the exact opposite thing. You said, if somebody is giving 90% to the passive and they're keeping 10% to themselves, that's a red flag. I need to dive into that. Probably not something you're going to invest in. So I want to find out why is there two different philosophies and if you could explain your philosophy a little bit more.
3: Absolutely. Uh, This is something that I'm very passionate about. The reason I say that there's got to be significant money for the manager is because think of the managers. They are looking at 10 deals, 20 deals before they get the one, right? They're going out there, they're walking the park and they're flying out there, spending their time and all that. They don't get paid to do all that. Okay, when when you get the, uh, when you get that, uh, you know, uh, fee, acquisition fee that we're talking about, uh, it includes all of those expenses that you have to do to get that one deal. And on top of that, once you get the deal, you got to put the honest money, you got to put this, you got to put that, right? That is a cost of money that's, uh, you know, it could be one, two, three, four months or whatever. All that is wrapped up in that. Sometimes you go all that far and you don't do the deal. You get the money back and nothing else, right? That money is sitting there. You have to have my two, three hundred thousand at least, I'm assuming, if not more, just sitting there doing nothing. And that's a cost of, you know, the cost of money. And uh, and that's that operator is, is going to have to have that to do that. And then all the time and all the expenses and all of that stuff that's part of the overhead. I'm sure people say, well, that's why they have the asset management fee and all that stuff. Well, you know, I think for me, if you're really gonna look for a good operator, you got to pay them. I mean, you know, there is a reasonableness to the, you know, acquisition fee. You know, sometimes I see on a $30 million, 4% acquisition fee could be a little rich, you know, on a- 1.2 million? Uh, yeah, on a on a on a, you know, two million dollars, four percent acquisition fee is not very much. So yeah. the percentage is not the issue. It's just the overall of what is it that you know that's fair, right? You want to do what's fair. Don't ox, don't muscle the ox that tread your floor, right? It's in the Bible. We will talk about it. Got so it. make sure they have enough to eat, and mm-hmm. uh, and that they are happy and that they are able to work for you, right? Yeah. And I do the same thing with my employees, right? You got to pay them enough for them to be able to work. And they do work. And you want to look at it that way. If you, are a, if you are a business owner, you know, you're maximizing your profit, true. But what about uh, the resources? How are you managing your resources? Are you making sure that they are getting what they want? Sure, you know, the operator will, if they do really well, and they increase the, this, that, and reduce this, that, you can get the net, um, you know, NOI higher. Uh, yeah, that way they can make money. But that's where you're analyzing all the deal. And I look at all the deals. If I find it really rich for the manager side, I'll ask some questions, right? But if it's too low, I won't even go on the deal. Because I know all these reasons why you have to have that money, and you don't have that money, then eventually that deal will be a problem deal. I don't want to be in a problem deal. What do you
0: think of, well, I don't know if we mentioned, I mentioned this a little. Uh, I'd like to speak to a management fee. What, uh, should there be one at all? Should it be really, really small? Should it be a medium-sized fee? Management. Asset
3: management fee you're talking mm-hmm.
0: about? Yep, yep, as yeah, you I, go.
3: Yeah, there are some some areas I see the asset management fee 2% and all that. Um, I think that's really high. Um, typically asset management range from anywhere from half to one and a half. So on average is about a 1% acqu- asset management fee. And that is typically coming off of uh, our you know uh, stock funds, right? You know, if you look at Vanguard, they're talking about 0.25 percent. They are the king of low asset management fee, right? And then you take uh, some of the, uh, you know, private funds. Uh, you're looking at about one and a half percent, right? Uh, you want to be somewhere in that line because real estate returns you are about 16 percent on average. So you're not, you know, stellar returns, 30 percent, 40 percent, right? When you're doing that. Then you shoot for a two percent fee, right? Um, but that's what the hedge fund do. Uh, we're not hedge funds. We're a stable, you know, uh, plot the, you know, ground, uh, you know, non sexy, you know, uh, steady, right? Yeah. And and so half to one and a half is probably reasonable. More than the half to one is realistic.
0: Got it. All right. So let me ask you this. Uh, we could probably go and go and go and go. And I would love to do that. But let's let's move here. And then we'll go into the final five. Sure. Siva, you've been involved in more than a thousand. How many how many units so far?
3: We've we've had about 1500 at one time. Now we're about 870, 880 units. We have disposed of some of those and the rest we have them. And that will also be probably You know, in the next five years or so, it's going to go down. So, our goal is to kind of keep looking for units and increase it this year. We're probably looking for another 400 to 500 to invest in. Awesome. One thing that I've
0: learned through doing the podcast is that people learn so much more by talking about when things went wrong or when we made our biggest mistakes. Is there a a situation that you could point to? that would be valuable to the listener of maybe a mistake that you made with passively investing?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've made mistakes, uh, my share of mistakes in life. Well, part of it is in the, you know, investing part of it as well. Um, We did early on, we did a fix and flip, right? We found operators, we will fund them. And, uh, you know, two or three of us will fund them. And they will fix it, and then they flip it, and then we share the profit and whatnot. So, you know, we found the area, we found, we really liked the area, we liked the operator, we said, okay, let's do these things, right? Um, They had a decent track record as well, so it's not like they're a newbie, but what I didn't do is actually analyze the deal pretty closely. Because I really liked the operator, I chose this Even now I do these things, if I really, really like the operator, I may not do as much of a due diligence on the numbers uh, because ultimately any business is only as good as the operator, right? You can take a good business and run it aground, or you can take a bad business and bring it to excellence. It all is in the hands of the operator. So for me, a lot of the times, I really want to get to know the operator. I really want to gauge the operator. I would never invest in any deal that I haven't met the operator personally, one-on-one, face-to-face, and had a meal or a beer. You talk about it, right? If I can't have a beer with them and shoot air, I'm not going to invest with them. Simple as that. You know, If they're too nervous and they're too busy, they're too this, that, I'm not really you know, going to invest with them because that's just my style. There are other people who do that, I'm not one of those. So for me, the failure comes when you don't really do some of the due diligence on the numbers, right? You you like the operator, you like you know the market and you go do it. And then you find out the numbers really didn't work out. And uh, if you had only seen it close enough, you would not have gotten into it on that particular deal, but you still like the operator, you may go for another deal.
0: Uh, That's very interesting. And I feel like there's the answer that you want to give and maybe the answer that we have to give. And when it it comes to understanding with the new passive investor, how to actually look at the numbers, because – you want to say, or I want to say, like, just go ahead and do it. Like, go get involved. But, like, it feels like you have to say, go and spend $40,000 to really get educated so that you know every detail of underwriting. So, I, I'm torn. I'm torn between you're passive, you're not running the show. Maybe you don't need to know everything. But at the same time, it's like, without knowing it, it's very easy to make mistakes by not looking at the property closely enough. So do you have a way to help me get off of the fence to help one of the listeners get off the fence and understand what do they need to do before they go passive?
3: That is a great question. I hear this too a number of times. Um, I'm talking about educating yourself for people who have a million dollars or more to invest in it's okay to spend the 25000 to learn the business. But if you have only 100000 investing 40000 to learn, that's 40% of your investment. And I, I don't know that's a good investment, really. You could put that to work. One of the ways you can do that is work with other passive investors. Really key. I mean, there are other guys who really do this work and they have the operators, they have things, um, and they don't have a, horse in the race, right? You can talk to them and they'll say you know whatever they they have in mind. And you talk to a few of them, not just one guy. Talk to a few passive investors and you can learn some of it. Bigger pockets and your podcasts, you know, number of podcasts, you listen and you can learn a lot. Um, but but I would say this go to conferences. I, I, I really think if you want to, if you have the money you're going to invest, I would suggest find a conference that you could probably get one for $500 five hundred or $300 or whatever, $700, or a one-day seminar where you have to pay some money and where they will teach you something very specific by a passive investor or somebody who's actually doing the deals or whatever. But keep in mind, you know, you have to be aware um, the operator is a good operator that he understands the 506B, 506E, SEC regulation, all that stuff. You know, you don't want to be buying from an operator who's selling while he's teaching you. Um, that's a red flag. You know, he's not really respecting the law, and you don't want to be going with them. I'm doing a throw a lot of things now, but I'm saying education in some form is really good, and allowing time to pass and, and learning. About people, about the system, about the process is really good. Not that you have to spend forty thousand dollars to do it, but you got to spend a little bit of money. Go to conferences. There's plenty of real estate con. I, you can go to conference every day if you want. There's so many conferences out there. But hey, don't don't tell people
0: that there anyone else besides me puts on conferences, Siva.
3: Well, if you're <laughs> in you're in Denver. You got to go to Adam Adam's conference. <laughs> he's got a conference. He's got in a mastermind uh, spend some money you know th- the idea is if you're going to make your money grow if you could 10 of you guys are getting together put a hundred thousand I bet you you can spend a thousand dollars each to put ten thousand dollars to go and attend a conference or learn something right you assign two guys to go do that that's what I tell people um, so spending some money is absolutely essential before you lose all your hundred thousand crying out loud. I mean, you want to do that? No. Spend a little bit of money, learn the business. Yeah. Well, what I'm going to be apologetic about it.
0: (laughs) One thing- No, good, 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 good. All right. So, one of the big takeaways that I got from what you said is, yes, there's a lot of takeaways. Yes, you need to be educated. And it depends on your plan to be educated depends on your resources.
3: Absolutely correct.
0: And one of the cool things that you mentioned that I had not considered, and I don't know why, but it's really the value that you can get at the conferences. And one of, one of the things, a, a shameless plug of like the Raising Money Summit that's coming up this year, I'm still trying to get you on stage, Steve. I want you to be there. I really do. Absolutely. I'd be um, happy to be there. Yeah. <laughs> This, uh, this event is brilliant if you're a passive investor. If you're a passive investor and you're thinking, well, I don't want to learn how to raise money. Why would I go there? Well, you're thinking about it wrong. Your target client, your customer, you're the operators who need to know how to raise the money are sitting there. They, you are the hunter and this is an ocean full of ducks. You gotta go, you gotta go. To, if you're a past investor, this is the perfect type of opportunity. We also have the Multifamily Partnership Summit in, in January. So anyway, if you want to know more about those, if you're on the Facebook, comment below, hey, tell me more about this one. If, if uh, you're on the podcast right now, and, and you're listening to this after we're recording it live, and you want to learn more about it, Siva's going to give you his information. And also, you can always schedule a time with me just by going to the calendly.com forward slash Adam Adams. It's just calendly.com forward slash Adam Adams. And you don't have to memorize that. The link's in the show notes, so, so don't worry. All right, Siva, we're gonna get into the final five. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. By now, you should know that one of the biggest things that brings me joy and happiness is to meet listeners of the show. That's why I do so many live events I definitely want to meet you if you if you'd like to meet me and some of our speakers some of our presenters that come to the raising money summit and just to name a few we've got Corey peterson jason and pili yarusi michael blanc michael becker adam adams ellie perlman kathy fedke maureen miles jillian sadoti jean trobridge alina Trigab, todd dexheimer ramakrishna jeremy roll chris clothier matt terrio and Mark and Tamil Kenny. It's going to be awesome. I'll see you on October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Just go to RaisingMoneySummit.com, and then if you want a big discount, just put in podcast, because my podcast listeners get a giant discount because I am hosting that event. I'll see you October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And we're back with Siva Venugopalan, and what he's going to talk about right now is the most creative deal he's ever done. Do you have one of those, Siva?
3: yeah it's an interesting deal we did and uh one of the one of the ways that we got into the deal was um I was under the coaching with one of the coach that I had for the real estate, and I was talking to him about hey why why do I need to do this? I'm quite happy, and I don't have time for this and and he said get off your butt and do something. And I said, okay, I'm getting off my butt. I'm going to do something. What am I going to do? And he said, well, let's figure out. Sit down and talk about it. Blah, blah, blah. We did all that. And then I, at the end of it, he said, well, you know, I think passive investing is the way to go for you because you have the knowledge to be able to analyze the deals. You have the contacts somewhat. I, I didn't have the contacts a lot at that time. You know, you had some contacts. And so why not I introduce you to a team that would be doing some deals so analyze uh, let 's let 's go through that and analyze it together. This is a deal in the northeast it was a i think we talked about this deal it 's a it 's a ground up construction. They have this uh, 120 acres just south of Boston in Providence, Rhode Island area. And uh, the city was trying to, the city had that and they were trying to get rid of it because they had some requirements. And so these guys are gonna buy that and then they're gonna develop it into field hockey, high hockey and you know swim club and da 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 da, a whole bunch of things, hotels and all that. And it's a phased construction. And it's a $55 million deal, which turned into now about $75 million total because we bought additional 40 acres that was associated with this on an option that we had when we bought the first 120 some acres, right? So this is uh, very creative. Um, one of the thing is I was trying to figure out how do I get into this deal? You know, there are tiers that you can get into. So one of the ways I wanted to get into is at the bottom, right? At the, which is the way you look at it is, you know, the bottom tier gets all of the, you know, waterfall, right? Uh, what is so, What does
0: that mean exactly? What do you mean the bottom? Is,
3: well, the waterfall is a ground floor. What are you talking about, right? When you get in the ground floor, you hmm. have a lot more opportunity to acquire the benefits of all the different businesses. This particular thing, if you really understood the deal, it, this had several businesses. When we first started, there was only one business. But the, the 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 layout of that deal, you know, will generate new businesses, create new businesses, one for field hockey, one for aquatic center, one for all the, you know, retail businesses within the uh, aquatic center, and one for ice hockey, and then one for actually having a, a conference conference uh, In a championship for the ice hockey, and one for a hotel, and one for you know a a storage shed that was going to be put on. So, I looked at it and I see the opportunity in there, and I said, all of these businesses will be licensed out of the main business. All of the cash flow from those other businesses will flow into the main, you know, and I want it on the main. So we negotiated, worked it out in such a way that I could take part in the main, even though I wasn't the majority investor. So I was able to do that. That was a really creative deal, how we structured it, how we got in and how we did that. And it's also another aspect of it's the EB-5. where uh, EB-5? E as in Edward, B as in boy, 5. Tell me more about that real fast. EB-5 program is, it's it's created by the U.S. government where people from other countries who are coming in, if they invest at least $500,000 and create at least about 10 jobs, they would automatically get a green card uh, for them and their family, immediate family. And so this uh, particular business had that EB-5. We had about 20 million approved for that. And uh, John Ashroft is one of the gentlemen who's leading that EB-5. You know who John Ashroft is, right? No. Attorney General for the Bush administration. Okay, okay. So, and so that part of it isn't there. So I had some friends who are really, you know, uh, interested in getting the EB-5. And so we're looking at that. That was another option I had at that time. You know, I haven't really introduced anyone to that because I wanted to wait and see how the, you know, whole deal is doing. And four years into that, we're doing fantastic with the deal. This is a deal with a no cash flow for the first few years. Okay, Um, okay. So you really need to have a, a steel stomach for this.
0: <laughs> well, good. I'm glad to hear that it, it's gone
3: well. What's a book you recommend? The book I recommend is, uh, I think, one by, is it a multifamily or is it any book? Any book. Any book. Oh, any book. Uh, there are two things I like. One, The one book I recommend is from uh, um, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Um, It's a really good book. Um, uh, I won't go too much into it, except to say that uh, there are some companies that are really great companies. What makes them great as opposed to other companies that are just good companies? What characterizes great companies? The reason I recommend that is because passive investors, you're looking for that character in those operators who are great operators, right? So that's a freebie right there.
0: Truly love that. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Diva, can you tell me a little bit about just uh where you were
3: five years ago? Five years ago, I was pretty much doing my business and my engineering business, and that was going really well. And uh we were trying to decide what to do with that excess cash that we had. So we were actually buying single family by the rows. In- and <laughs> Florida. I mean, you go there, and I asked him, "Hey, can I buy this family, a single family, all this boarded up? Seems like a new structure." So "Yeah." How many do you want? What? What do you mean? You can get the whole thing. Yeah, you can get the whole thing. So we bought, you know, several of those, and we sat and worked on it for about a year or two, and we hired a manager to take care of everything. And they are the best managers, even today. I have a few with them. They are the best. I will tell you that. And uh, they did a phenomenal job for us. But the problem was every time somebody got out and new people came in, which is like two week break, but my wife had to move every utility back to her name and then go back to their name. And after about, you know, a hundred times, she said, I'm done with this and not <laughs> doing it anymore. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So that, go ahead. That's how we moved into the multifamily.
0: Perfect. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to know, what
3: does it look like five years from today? Five years from today, I'm thinking that I would be carrying my business and handing it over to somebody else so that they would be running the business. I would just simply be managing and be the figurehead, so to speak. And I would be moving into my passion, which would be real estate and teaching and, you know, allowing people to really, you know, have a lifestyle that allows them, you know, the passive incomes that allows a lifestyle that is really, you know, balanced and it's really enjoyable. A lot of the folks are so busy that they miss their life altogether. At the age of 65, they wonder, what have I done? And I'm almost there. <laughs> I'm starting to think. Uh but that's true. Every single 90 to 95% of the people, they work really hard. I'm not against working hard. But I think we really need to stop and smell the roses. And passive investing is a key part of that.
0: Awesome. How do you give back?
3: How do I give back? Actually, we do have... Um, training that we do for some of the folks who want to get into passive and we talk about, you know, if I have a small amount of money, how do I do that? I kind of find creative ways for them to get involved so that they could get the benefit. So I've done that for folks who are actually having a full-time W-2 job. So that's one way I give. And the other way I give is also, I look for folks who are going to, you know, serve widows and orphans uh, I'd like to help them. I'd like to support them. I'd like to, you know, uh, make sure that they have resources to, you know, do what they need to do. So uh, I definitely have a soft heart for single moms, uh, moms without, uh, you know, help, and kids uh, who are orphaned. Uh, life is stacked against them. You know, they need some some help. And
0: the last question that I have for you um, stems from just the incredible human that you are and the amount that you love to give back or the ways that you said people might be able to work with you if they have five or 10 and they're trying to learn how to do this and you can kind of hold their hand and share with that with them how they might be able to get involved into this and help them vet the right operators vet the market so that they're making good choices good decisions with their money um, if they resonated with that and they want to reach out to you they want to get a hold of you what's the number one best way that they could do that
3: well you could uh email me or text me uh text me is probably the best option i would say um the text would be i am looking for my own number if you can believe it <laughs> <laughs> it's 484 and my email is siva6418 at com. Those are the two ways they could reach out to me. Text is probably the best, and uh, once I have that, I will get back to them, and one other thing I say to people is that find those people in the same place that you are in. If you're a full-time uh, biz, you know, working for someone else and you have some money that you want to invest in, find somebody like that. Uh, spend some money. And uh, there are people, you know, I do a workshop for all those folks you know, I don't charge a lot of money, but uh, my goal is to primarily prepare folks for passive investing. Uh, you know, there's some in the West Coast as well. There are, find locally where you are within a two hour driving distance or something like that, that you can really, get to know. And so, you know, anybody who's within two hours of Philly, call me. I'd be happy to do that.
0: I'm making some notes right now. And now here, I'm going to just double check that I have the right numbers. Uh, Mm 484-301-0409 and S-I-B-A 6418 at gmail.
3: You got it.
0: Awesome. Siva, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm pretty sure we're going to have you on the show 10 more times. I really, really appreciate you coming and sharing the wisdom, everything that you've learned over the past several years of of passively investing into all sorts of kind of projects. I appreciate your time. Again, I'm going to let you go. But until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Thank you, Adam. What's up, podcast listeners? I hope you're getting a ton of value from the episodes that we keep dropping daily all month of August as we promote the Raising Money Summit. I bet you anything you've already gotten your tickets. I assume you're coming, and I cannot wait to see you there. I'm going to let you hear from a couple more of the speakers that are going to be on stage at this event right here, right now. Check them out, and I'll see you on October 3rd, 4th, and 5th.
2: Hi, I'm Kathy Fedke, co-CEO of Real Wealth Network. And we started raising money for syndications back in 2009. So I guess you could say it's my 10 year anniversary. Uh, We did some things very wrong in the beginning and we are doing them very right today. Unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of new syndicators make the mistakes that I made in the beginning and, and mistakes that are way worse than I could ever have dreamed up. So I'm excited, so excited that this event is happening. Um, that I can come and teach people how to really build a business that will be there for the long-term and that investors will just just be waiting in great anticipation for your next deal and have money set aside that they can't wait to send you.
0: Hi, my name is Jeremy Roll. I'm a full-time passive cash flow investor. I have an MBA from the Wharton School. And I'm also co-founder of For Investors Buy Investors, or FIBI. I'm very much looking forward to presenting at the Raising Money Summit in Denver. I'll be speaking on passive investing and the top 10 things you have to look out for in being a passive investor. If you're curious to be a passive investor and you're curious to learn more about things to avoid and what to really look for when you're looking for that type of investment, please come join me
2: at the summit in October. Hey guys, my name is Alina Trigo. I'm going to be at Raising Money Summit talking about what questions to ask investors, how to ask the right questions. And I'm going to help you
0: learn how to ask those questions and do it much better. I'm really excited to be there
1: and I hope to see you at Raising Money Summit. Thanks.